Matthew, what first got your attention about the crisis of, of human trafficking? Yeah, so one of the first things that caught my attention on human trafficking was when I was in my senior year of high school, I sat in a leadership workshop, um, and I heard a speaker talk about how people would be taken advantage of, um, specifically Native American people, and how other people would try to hurt Native American people um, in the form of human trafficking. And little did I know, a little bit later, I would end up at Vanguard University of Southern California uh, learning about human trafficking. Not only was I able to take a course through the Global Center for Women and Justice um, with Dr. Sandra Morgan, who's the director of the Global Center, um, but I was also able to travel to Argentina to do a study abroad trip through the Global Center. Um, I was able to learn about human trafficking on my studies as well as students about what human trafficking is. Um, and it was through courses at Vanguard that I was able to draw a bigger um, attention to what human trafficking is, and I was able to educate myself more on this topic. I learned that about the different forms of trafficking and the different forms of how people hurt other people through human trafficking. And of course, trafficking is worldwide. Um, as a Native American and as a Christian yourself, you're concerned about trafficking among the Navajo people and other tribes. Tell us specifically about that. Yeah, so I am full Native American specifically from Navajo, from the Navajo Nation. And there is a, a missing factor of education and resource, I think, too. As a Christian, I feel like it's my responsibility to uh, combat issues like human trafficking, whether that's educating people or doing study and research. Um, but as a Christian and being a Native American, the Christian aspect of this, I look at human trafficking biblically. Uh, first, I see a call to action in Matthew chapter 5 um, when Jesus talks about being salt and light. And the only thing that stands out to me from this passage is how Jesus is telling us to be salt and light. I don't really see being salt and light as an achievement or, in a, or a side task by any sorts, um, but it's a responsibility that we are to show people who Jesus is through us. And then secondly, from Proverbs, doing more um, research and being educated about human trafficking, I take this um, passage, and in the New Living Translation, it reads, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, um, semicolon, ensure justice for those being crushed. So that there is another call to action for who we need to stand up for, which is my people. Um, the Native American people have had their voices taken from them. And some cases, um, they're not even invited to the table. They're not invited to do things like this, like having the conversations we're having today um, between you and I. Uh, and I want to fight through whatever obstacles that may occur to make sure that my people, the Native American people, are given a voice and that we stand up for Indigenous men and women and children who are being trafficked today. This uh, seems to be coming from your heart. Is that true? Yes, a lot of it. I don't know why. I don't know where this comes from. Um, some family members of mine have undergone traumatic experiences as uh, children, and I think somewhere God knew what he was doing and put this in my heart. Um, I remember from a young age being asking my parents like difficult questions about 
um, kind of some topics that would relate to human trafficking. And I showed a lot of interest in um, mental well-being and um, mental health and different things like that. So I don't know where it came from, but I knew from a young age it was planted into my heart. In one interview I read, you said that human trafficking is not really a singular issue. What all is involved? Yeah, many variables fall under human trafficking. There are many things, or many times I think of human trafficking as an umbrella that covers things like uh, spiritual health or psychological well-being of others. Um, not only factors um, on individuals and personal health, but it also addresses things like poverty, lack of natural resources, uh, access to education, and even issues that focus on community wellness and support for children, women, and men as well. Um, Every day, people do not see their role in supply and demand that makes it profitable for traffickers to exploit other human beings. Um, So there's a business aspect to it. And also, um, following many of these different vulnerabilities, mental health is a vulnerability. If we're not protecting our mental well-being, um, there is it's a lot of different issues that I have just named that contribute to hum- what human trafficking is. Are families or even individuals often unaware of the, the tactics the traffickers use to try to pull someone into this? Yes. Um, in my personal experience, I have been able to hear about cases and hear from survivors firsthand about their experience of meeting somebody online at a very young age, getting access to, like, on Facebook or Instagram, through social media. Um, Traffickers use multiple avenues to get to people um, who they may seek out as being vulnerable. I think the picture we always have in our heads is that it happens with um, when one individual is taken out of their home or out of their property and removed um, to somewhere else, that's the picture that we all kind of have in our minds. But it's not sometimes just that simple. It's kind of even come from family. So family sometimes takes advantage of family? Yes. One of my first actual doing a presentation about human trafficking on my reservation, the Navajo Nation, was a case where it involved familial human trafficking, where a young lady was being trafficked by her family members for the necessity of natural resources. So it does happen. So it was just a matter of of money, basically. Yeah, a matter of survival and a matter for uh, needs of natural resources. So... In your opinion, does does trafficking sometimes or often involve what Christians would consider a a spiritual evil? Yes. I always refer back to Beth Grant, who is an incredible leader in the field of human trafficking um, and the efforts of anti-trafficking. Beth Grant said that human trafficking is one of the most tangible forces of evil that we can see today. Uh, Trafficking at its core is people hurting people and people taking away the freedom that God gave everyone and using another person's freedom for their own personal gain. Most of the time, that's financial gain. And that's not how God intended the lives of young girls, boys, and even adults to look like. 
victims of trafficking are being crushed, crushed in spirit, uh, in physical health and mental health, and crushed in their identity. These aspects is what I think contributes to how trafficking is a spiritual evil element. How do the the criminals, the traffickers, tend to get away with this? So this question can go in many different ways. Um, one of the biggest ways that I have learned in the classroom is that traffickers are able to avoid arrest because they are not doing the physical acts that are illegal to perform. Um, the victims are being forced to work for traffickers in ways that could set traffickers up for avoiding legal arrest. Um, let's look at labor trafficking, for instance. And uh, side note, if you did not know, labor trafficking is actually the biggest form of human trafficking and accounts for about two-thirds of all human trafficking globally. Uh, victims of labor trafficking are hard to prove because it's not illegal to wash dishes. It's not illegal to work in restaurants or do acts of labor. So traffickers are sneaky and traffickers are smart and they can use any avenue of excuse for their benefit, especially in cases like labor trafficking. An example of labor trafficking is almost like slavery, minimum wages, no wages, uh, intimidation? Yeah. um, A lot of times labor trafficking looks like an individual who is um, taken and being forced to do labor acts. Um, and that may be like in restaurants, that could be in different areas of labor or work fields, and their living conditions are some little to nothing. They're not getting paid um, any wages, or if they are, it's going to debt. Um, And this happens a lot, too, with immigrants who are immigrating into different countries, and Um, like their documents can be taken from them to um, be used as kind of like blackmail, if you will. So So without the proper papers, you can't do a whole lot. Are are, are immigrants hesitant to to reach out to, to police? Is there like a distrust perhaps because of where they came from? Yeah, so um, I actually sat through a seminar the other day and listened to a professor who um, migrated to the United States here at Vanguard, and she shared her experience as if coming to America, you don't know who to trust. You don't know who you can trust. And sometimes that may look like people that you're trying to get to know that can look like law enforcement. Um, it's just because you're in a whole new place. And sometimes they just don't know if law enforcement is the correct people to help them. Uh, you are the uh, president of the student body at uh, Vanguard University, which is quite an honor. Do you sense that you, you have the support of, of school and of the school? And do students have a pretty good idea of what's involved with all this? Yeah, well, I feel an overwhelming amount of support from Vanguard University. And I know that the support did not start when I was elected as president. Um, Vanguard's Global Center for the Woman Justice is proof that this university is student-led. When I had approached Dr. Morgan with the idea of doing an inter-justice conference after we did um, our study abroad in Argentina, I asked her if we could plan and think about bringing this to my home community, to the Navajo Nation, and her response was yes. Um, 
not just to do it, but because she saw, um, she didn't say yes just to add it to her portfolio or anything, but because she saw a student who identified a need in his community and sought to empower um, a student like myself to create change in my own home. Um, and that is what we're doing. As far as the students of Vanguard, um, we have events and a club that's called Live to Free that seeks to provide resources and programs to, that educate our students um, of what human trafficking is and how to prevent it as a college student. It's not a requirement to take a class that is introducing you to human trafficking, but Vanguard also offers those types of classes. Um, it offers academic programs through attaining a woman in justice minor and an anti-human trafficking certificate. Now, I believe you are a senior? Yes, I am. So once you graduate, what do you hope and pray to be able to do? What, what direction do you want to go? Yeah, so for the next few years, um, my heart has really um, been to work in Christian higher education in the field of student engagement and public relations. Um, so while working for this institution um, specifically, I am planning to be working at Southwestern's Assemblies of God University um, on their American Indian College campus. I plan to be doing my master's program in clinical counseling, specifically in trauma. Um, and hopefully in the future, after I finish working in higher education, I want to work with young Native Americans who may be going through traumatic experiences um, like human trafficking, possibly. Um, so the goal is to still be in the realm of human trafficking throughout the remainder of my career and in the realm of human trafficking just to get through the route, I guess, addressing human trafficking uh, through counseling is what I want to do. So actually right now for my senior project uh, here at Vanguard, I'm developing a hopeful nonprofit that will be bringing awareness of human trafficking in Native communities. Um, I'll be able to tell stories of Native American survivors and educate not just Native American people, but non-Native American people about the realities and the traumas that Native people could face to set, be set up for trafficking or the different obstacles and barriers that set us up for trafficking, um, that set us up to be vulnerable. And I want to help people develop as students first and helping them um, professionally, helping mentally and building upon those building blocks in communities for um, good and healthy mental and emotional well-beings in the future. Among Native Americans, when they encounter someone who is a Christian like you, is there difficulty explaining Christ to Native Americans because of some of the, the history of what's occurred? Yeah, so it's very difficult. Um, and our statistics today, you know, with over 7 million Native American people in the United States and Canada, um, with over 500 plus years of evangelism from um, European contacts to now, we see that less than 5% of Native Americans claim to be Christian. Um, so it's very, in some sorts, difficult to present the gospel because of traumatic experiences that happened um, many, many years ago and are still happening today. And all I can do is not force the gospel on people, but I can live 
the way Jesus wants us to live. Um, I had mentioned being the salt and light, and I can live by showing people kindness and giving grace to others and practicing those first before I go and try, before I go and start trying to preach the gospel. So you essentially want to, to live the gospel. Yes. 